You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of the HR Mavericks podcast. I'm Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by Philip Rom, who's the founder at Elite HR, also the chief human capital strategist there. So, Philip, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Garrett. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. You know, before we jump in, tell our guests just a little bit more about you and your background. I know you have this wealth of experience when it comes to HR. So, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so I have over 20 years of of HR experience in multiple industries, many different positions, most recently being my own boss at Elite HR and founding a a company. So trying to spark that entrepreneurial spirit and leverage my HR experience to help businesses do some of the hard work and, and be strategic in the HR space. Awesome. Tell us a little more about Elite HR and the types of businesses that you work with specifically. We work with businesses that are looking to really don't have any particular vertical or industry or size or anything along those lines. We look for businesses that are looking to grow, adapt and change to the current working environment. And that means in some cases, as we'll talk more today, updating their employee employer unwritten contract. And some of them, it's cultural studies. Some of them, it's HR tech stacks. Some of them, it's globalizing. So it's really companies that are looking to say, we've got a problem. We, we need a strategic solution and we're going to bring in that that expertise. I love it. That's so great. And I can definitely see how that can be needed in many businesses, large and small. So, you know, before we jump into our topic that you kind of seated, one question I like to ask a lot of our guests is, you know, what what really drew you to the field of HR and kind of part two of that, what's kept you there? So it's a great question. I didn't wasn't drawn to it. I landed in it 20 some odd years ago. I answered an ad in the New York Times to be a part time recruiter at a very large bank in New York City where I was living. And I landed the job kind of out of nowhere. I had zero experience. I had had no background in HR. I just graduated from from undergraduate school at the University of Rochester. And I loved it. I love the fact that it's never two days are never the same. And so, you know, you, you walk in some days, you think you have a plan and then, you know, a sexual harassment investigation pops up and you're and now you're off to a very different a different mode i like as a generalist you know that you get to have your fingers in a lot of different pots and so you you have to know a lot about a lot of things so there's a lot of opportunity and i would say what's kept me in it the most is that HR has evolved from what it was 20 years ago. I mean, my first title 20 years ago, you know, was personnel manager. And and so that, you know, that is a very transactional, operational kind of feel to now much more strategic, helping businesses grow, working them do adaptive change to to drive an ROI. So that's what sort of, you know, keeps me going and, and, and helps me stay in the field. I love it. That's great. I, I'm not hearing the New York accent. It must have just faded over the last 20 years. Is that it? I uh, I, I don't really have one. I've worked really hard <laughs> to, to not have one, but I, I, I now have lived just about as much out of New York as I've lived in it. So maybe yeah. we'll... Maybe it'll, maybe it'll, 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 you know, slip in a little bit here and there. So we'd love that. So, well, Philip, you kind of seeded this idea for what we're going to talk about today. And specifically, you kind of proposed this idea of, you know, businesses, employees, employers have typically this unwritten contract. And in most companies that's, that's changed 
or is in the process of changing. So we want to talk a little bit about that today. So I guess to start us off, tell us a little bit more from your perspective, or what was the, in the past, the older unwritten employee employer contract, what did that typically look like at businesses? Yeah, I, I would say in my career, I've gone through sort of three different changes and shifts in that unwritten employer employee contract. When I first started my my career, that sort of the unwritten employee employer contract was almost a, a cradle to grave kind of philosophy. When you walked out of college, you walked into your company, you stayed there for 50 years, you got your gold watch at retirement, and you put your kids through college, you bought your house, you know, your cars, you went on your two to three weeks of vacation. And that that's where you stayed and you didn't look to leave and you got a moderate potential increase every year. And that was sort of that. That was that the company took care of you, you know, the old company man or company woman kind of kind of idea. And then, you know, right around the start of the the, the early 2000s, right after 9-11, that started to break down a little bit when companies started to say, okay, well, it's no longer really a feasible relationship for, for us to have this sort of you know, 50 year employee anymore, we're going to do much more flexible models. And they got rid of their defined benefit pension plans. And they went to defined contribution 401ks, layoffs started to become a a bit more of the norm in terms of when they needed to right size or downsize or upsize their their staffing models. And and that sort of, you know, kind of became much more of of that ruling. And then from the employee side, once that loyalty from the employer was broken, it became much more of a job hopping. I'm going to leave now for different opportunities to either grow salary. I know I did that earlier on in my career, opportunity, title, you know, relocation, whatever it was. There wasn't that sense of loyalty back to the employer because they weren't no longer taking care of all of my needs. And, and as kids who watch their parents do that, now they're in their own employer employer kind of kind of agreement where they they no longer want work to be the central part of their lives work is a part of their life but it's no longer the defining aspect of their lives so you know people yeah. now it's much more of a humanistic model i think it was breaking pre covid i think covid sped up the break and to where now work is a function of who you are, not the only function. And people, employers now are in this great mist of, do we get everybody back to an office? Do we stay remote? Employees want flexibility. We we think we we've invested all this money in office space, you know. So that that great conversation is still still happening, but now the the we're looking at people as humans and saying that. The balance and the distinction between home life and work life is no longer a distinction. Mm -hmm. This is who the person is. This is who Garrett is. This is who Phil Rom is. And this is what Phil Rom needs. This is what Garrett needs. And how do we bring that about to get the best out of both people to allow them to, to have full lives that include a working relationship? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think most would, you know, exactly what you said would resonate with most people. You know, I think we've all seen that evolution from parents, grandparents, you know, being the company man or company woman to, you know, early 2000s, like you said, that's starting to break down to COVID really changing and speeding a lot of this up. So, you know, right or wrong, it, it is what it is. And it's, it's the state of what 
most companies are facing right now. So you kind of described a little bit of like what that that new employee employer contract is in that mm-hmm. it's it's the person and they're it's more holistic, right? And what does that actually mean though for employers? Like what what are the impacts or the changes that employers have to be thinking about with this kind of new unwritten contract that has emerged? Yeah, it, it's a couple of really, really key things. And it's it's a very different kind of conversation. It's a conversation around, I'm not going to stay at this job if it no longer fits my values, which was a very different conversation than I, I, I've ever ever heard in the workplace before. And, and people are taking and choosing jobs that fit along their values. So employers now have to not only offer great pay, great benefits, all of those things that still drive the market, they have to make sure that their values are aligned to where their employees want to be and and are. And by that, I mean things like, if you say you are an eco-conscious culture, then you have to live being an eco-conscious culture and do things like recycle coffee grinds if you have a, if you have Mm -hmm. a, in-house office. If you have an in-house office, do you have green space in your office? Or do you, you know, do you use green energy? You know, do you yourself as the CEO drive a hybrid car or are you showing up in your, you know, 10 mile to the gallon Hummer? And, and, you know, those types of things, because that's what's going to resonate with the current employees when they look at what the values are to match their values. As an example, you say you are a remote-based company, but if you have policies that say everybody must live within one or two states in the United States, well, then are you really a remote-based company or are you just a company that lets people work from home? And and so there there are conversations around that is happening all the time. If you say, and I'd like to put it in this type of language, people now are valuing performance-driven opportunities. So being measured based on output versus time and space. And by time and space, I mean things like showing up at an office and working nine to five Monday through Friday, that old sort of model where they got a performance review once a year and they either you know were satisfactory or unsatisfactory. That's no longer the case. They want outcome-driven sort of metrics and outcome-driven feedback, and they want to not be able to say no to the 6 p.m. meeting that interferes with some sort of life activity, whether it's parents, it's it's sports, whether it's single individuals, you know, whatever game time or other types of things. You know, ironically, I was reading an article this morning where the company drinks after work is now becoming an issue because individuals no longer want to socialize in that manner. So companies that are looking to get workers back to work are struggling because companies don't individuals no longer value that as an activity. So it's a very values driven kind of thing. And it's, if you don't meet my values, I'm not going to work for you. So you have to find the values that attract to me. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. And I I think that totally resonates, you know, the, the thought process that where my, where my mind's going, you know, on this topic is, um, is how how is this different for different sizes of companies or in different industries, right? So like you you mentioned some things, especially related to like the in-office remote work. You, you know, there are certain industries you think of, you know, a small plumbing business or 
HVAC or construction or restaurants or retail where, you know, they have to be on site. You can't necessarily do a lot of that work remote. So how is this, what's the change that's happening, if at all, in these types of businesses, right? Or is this something that's just happening in certain industries or segments of companies? I think it's certainly there's a, a greater freedom in, say, professional services yeah. where some of this can be much more easily documented and, and seen in retail, manufacturing, warehousing, and physical space where you need to have people on site. It's significantly harder, but not impossible to to, to do. And where that sort of becomes becomes become seen in, in like an HVAC company or a doctor's office or a warehouse is you have systems set up for flexible scheduling, shift sharing, shift swapping, right? Where that you have a technology process where instead of calling out for the day, I maybe swap my shift with a, a peer who does a similar job that needs to now take off because of a sick child. And, and so you could re- not go into overtime because you're shift sharing or shift swapping or job sharing. I mean, we, we've all talked about these sorts of things for years, but now they're real opportunities to sort of bring them about. And the technology is readily available. And, and that was one of the limiting factors years ago was that there wasn't a really effective way to send a text message out saying this shift is available. Anybody want to take it or sure. I need to take this day off? You know, can we swap a shift? And, you know, I noticed you're working this day. Can we can we swap that shift and not have to have supervisory management sort of intervention on all of these very sort of day-to-day interactions that management probably doesn't need to be involved in on a real basis that the employees can handle if you give them the autonomy, responsibility, training, and tools. So whereas, you know, it's become something along those lines. In an HVAC or kind of retail situation, it's about also having really great incentives and understanding that they're that employees are going to also need to call out and be out and things are going to happen. And then not using that as a situation to text somebody on a Saturday night saying, you know, you must get your, 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 your body into, into work or you're going to be fired. Right. Like mm-hmm. those types of messages just you know, you aren't resonating anymore. And people are, are more and more saying, okay, thanks very much. Goodbye. You know, that message no longer scares the employee to come in. And, and so it's about having opportunity, autonomy, ability to 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 do to make decisions even in a retail and you know more manufacturing type environment that yeah. gives the, the employee the opportunity to sort of own their their time and and participate in this new unwritten contract that that totally resonates i can definitely see how that's the case so i mean the next question that naturally comes to mind for me is how do these businesses the employers figure out what their employees most value i mean you could simply go ask them, right? And that's probably where to start. But what other tips do you have in helping employers figure out what are those values? Is it flexibility? Is it this? Is it that? Does it vary very much? Or are there a core set of values that most employees care about today, regardless of the company, right? How do how do employers figure that out so that they can then start to tailor you know, their internal processes to the, those values? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that 
for 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 one, you know, survey certainly is a way. Go ahead and ask a survey. I'm not always the the biggest fan of surveys. You know, you get typically low response rates. You end up having to chase people. They tell you what you think they you want to hear. So I'm not usually a big fan of surveys. But what you could do is you can create a bottom up movement. You could you can simply have sort of town hall sessions, and it's got to be more than one, and it's got to be transparent, and it's got to be something where. If somebody makes a bold suggestion, they don't get their head chopped off the next day. They can't, you know, so that you have to encourage that kind of talk where you simply just have forums where you're asking the employees, we're thinking about doing X, you know, what do you think, would you find this to sort of be valuable or can let's generate some ideas and, and you know, no ideas is, is, is too dumb. Let's moonshoot this, you know, give us sort of the, you know, what, what you're going to find valuable, understanding we can't do them all. You know, mm-hmm. and, and have a transparent, open conversation and then do one or two pilot it for six months. See what the response is. See if it tracks and retains individuals. See if it see if it works. And if it works then you can expand it to make it a bigger one. Uh, if it doesn't work, then you could retrench and try something new. But I think if you start the conversation with the employees that were willing to meet your needs and develop what you think is going to be valuable within our set of of values, which, you know, which ebb and flow over time, you know, Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be concrete, you know, so concrete that they can't, can't be changed. Then you can find that the employees would be willing to sort of talk to you about it. One of the biggest things I'd say is the hiccups is leadership can't do this without authenticity and they can't do it without transparency. So if you're just doing this, to do it, employees will find that you're fake and then they won't participate. If you're not transparent, employees will notice that as well. And if employees themselves find that they're getting shown the door or loss of opportunity or somehow because of a suggestion that they make, then that will also drive people back to, to, to not participate further. So there are a lot of things that you can do. And there's some tips that you probably shouldn't do and, and, and sort of to help make a successful conversation. I love the point about authenticity there because, you know, the the thing that I was really thinking about is I'm sure that there are, you know, small business owners, people in leadership who have lived through these different transitions of the changes of this employee-employer contract, right? Maybe they were raised and kind of started their career in that, you know, lifer situation before they started their own thing or something like that, right? And so I, I can imagine that for some of those people, it's probably difficult to understand, like, why are we doing this? And and so for those people who might not initially just inherently get it right for those leaders what would you say are the impacts for those businesses who don't invest time doing these things authentically and transparently to really tailor the to that new employee employer contract yeah i think over time they will begin to see that they will lose out on the top talent they will lose out on opportunities to to grow into new markets into different markets into 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 new things and and time has a way of passing these companies by it's an adapt or die mentality and if you don't start doing the the, the hard adaptation work now you know, it's going to become harder as the company moves along and gets into a potential, you know, dire straits issue. Everybody wants A players in their company. 
but A players want to go work in A cultures, you yeah. know, A rated cultures and, and and that fit and meet their values and needs. They don't want to go work for B's and C's cultures, right? So mm-hmm. if you don't want to have the B's and C players, you, you've got to start having that A a mentality and you have to do the adaptive change, you know, and and, and that all starts starts with some very hard conversations and it starts, you know, slowly. This is stuff to be a radical, you know, one day your, your culture mm-hmm. is this and the next day your culture is that. But you have to start that process. Otherwise, you're just it's going to adapt or die. Yeah, I think it's a great point. So what other what other advice would you give to, you know, especially a small business owner or the solo HR person who hears this message, sees the change and wants to start that progress, making that progress of changes at their company? What what other advice would you give to them of yeah, like where to start? Yeah, I would say that the, the thing I would say is, you know, kudos to you if you're recognizing that you need to have this conversation. And and I would say is if you're not ready to hold it yourself or you don't know where to begin, talk to someone like me, you know, talk to other other people that are in the space that can give you sort of that that jump start, that starting point, that 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 little bit of advice, that sounding board. You don't have to go it alone. And and you know, there are there are great books on this sort of topic that give you some 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 freedom to to to, to experiment. And you know, that's an opportunity for you to sort of say, you know, how do I go about this? Where do I start? I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to bring in and talk to an expert. And yeah. and there and and that's sort of a you know, a way to do that. And I hate the term expert. I, I much prefer some much prefer a term like, you know, advisor or, you know, a yeah. consult type relationship, because it isn't about me giving you expertise. It's about me being a sounding board for your ideas. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great point. So, wow, Philip, this has been an awesome conversation. I can definitely see how this is applicable for really any business out there. I mean, this is something that everyone's facing right now with these changes that we've seen in the world. So thank you for joining and sharing some of that knowledge or expertise, if you will, right, with us today. As we kind of wrap up here, one of the last questions I really like to ask a lot of our guests is what's a commonly held belief, you know, regarding HR among small businesses that you passionately disagree with? It may or may not be related to our topic today, but I'm curious, like what your point of view is on something that really stands out as you've worked with all of these different businesses. What's that commonly held belief that you disagree with? That we don't need this, that we don't need this level of sophistication, that we're we're good, you know, that this doesn't apply to us or, or any sort of deviation of that sort of theme. Because my answer is you, you will and, and it will affect you. And if you want to grow, these are types of things that you need to need to start to think about. And, you know, whether you're the five person, you know, mom and pop Main Street firm struggling to make your hires or whether you're the 50 person manufacturing firm and in, in, in the regional sort of location. These all, you know, the sophistication matters and people do notice when when some of this when when you start to listen to them. And so I would say that the, the thing that 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 I that bothers me the most is when companies don't believe that they need to or can be sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you kind of hit on that earlier on that, you know, previously, maybe there weren't the right tools or resources out there to support, especially these small businesses, but that's no longer the case today, right? right? No, like there, there, you can be sophisticated as a very small business with the right tools and resources. Yeah. And you have the, the, you can be nimble enough to make those pivots and changes, right? 
not only that, and and the the like that the price points now are so relatively low per employee, you know, per 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 employee per month that it makes almost not investing, you know, a, a long term issue. You know, I I keep using this type of example where. If your employees are hired, you're hiring, you're going out, you're hiring rock stars and you sit them down in an office on day one with a stack of 30 pages of forms <laughs> and a pen, you've got a problem. You know, that's something yeah. that if you're still doing that, that is a, that is a, a tremendous onboarding issue. And that is the first cultural step that this person is experiencing in your in your company. And, and you've basically just told them that you are antiquated, you know, yeah. and 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 lack the resources or lack the investment and don't really care what they think or their what their experiences have been. And, you know, the funny thing is a lot of kids in school today aren't even taught cursive or penmanship. In yeah. any <laughs> so there's going to come a point in the next sort of generation or so where they're not going to be able to fill out these forms. So yeah. at some point you're going to have to, again, adapt or die. So the sophistication doesn't have to be overly complex or overly expensive, but it does have to start. Yeah. Great point. Love it. Well, Phil, this has been an awesome conversation. If there are listeners who want to get contact with you, either to learn more about the topic or learn more about working with you, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way is to contact me by email. It's phil, P-H-I-L at hr-elite.com. Awesome. We will drop that in the show notes if you're listening. And so you can find that email address there. Don't have to worry about writing it down. Phil, thank you so much again for joining us today. And we hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddy. Eddy is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddy, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddy.com today to request a demo.